0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of Talking Talent. I'm Nicole Fuqua. You're listening to our audio series where we dig into issues related to talent acquisition. Today, we're talking about artificial intelligence and the impact it will have on recruiting. This is a special episode. Instead of an interview, today we're bringing you a recording of the presentation by Dr. Rand Hindi from our London Resourcing 2025 event. At that event, PeopleScout launched the next generation of RPO, featuring a future-focused approach to service RPO customers across Europe. There, Dr. Hindi described recent developments in artificial intelligence, machine learning, and the implications those will have on the talent landscape of the future. Dr. Hindi is an entrepreneur and data scientist. He is the founder and CEO of SNPs, building the first AI assistant that protects privacy. Ran started coding at the age of 10, founded a social network at 14, and a web agency at 15 before getting into machine learning at 18 and doing a Ph.D. in bioinformatics at 21. He's been selected as a TR35 by the MIT Technology Review, as a 30 Under 30 by Forbes, as a rising star by Founders Forum, and is a member of the French Digital Council. He holds a BSc in computer science and a Ph.D. in bioinformatics from University College London, as well as two graduate degrees from Singularity University in Silicon Valley and THNK in Amsterdam. Here's his presentation from the resourcing 2025 event at the London Science Museum. Hi,
1: so. We have about half an hour together. Uh, I suggest we try to make this interactive. There's plenty of time for questions at the end, but if you have one during the talk, just interrupt me, that's the kind of thing I actually like. Um, So, you know, a few years ago, when I was doing my PhD here in London, actually over a decade ago, uh, people were just starting to use artificial intelligence. And one of the main use cases was around financial markets, so basically creating uh, AI that would trade automatically in place of human traders. What you see here is a visualization of the activity of AI on financial markets between 2003 and 2012. And it's grown like crazy. We went from less than 5% of financial transactions to over 90% in some cases done by AI. And so, naturally, you know, banks started thinking, well, why do we need people you know, to do that if machines are perfectly capable of making us a lot of money? Much cheaper, much faster, they work around the clock, they don't have any kind of emotional uh, decision-making process. And so, some cases, um, some banks have replaced up to 99% of their traders by robots. Uh, well, you know, bad luck, my dad was one of them. Um, So there's kind of like a running joke at home that my research in AI made my own dad lose his job. Um, How many people here actually know what AI is about? Okay, have you heard the term artificial intelligence? Yeah, okay, fair enough. You've seen movies about AI, right? Uh, You know, we've been talking about AI in everything from you know HR to self-driving cars. Can someone actually give me a definition of artificial intelligence? Oh come on! Don't be shy.
0: <laughs> the, the use of big data. Uh, well,
1: <laughs> someone else.
0: It performs tasks and learns from them as well.
1: It performs tasks and learns from them as well. Yes, it's a very general kind of definition. Yes. It's ML. Right? So it's machine learning. Well, so machine learning is not the only way of achieving artificial intelligence. So. Um, I'll help you out. Artificial intelligence is about reproducing human behavior in a machine. That's it. And there are many, many different techniques that exist to actually do that, one of which is called machine learning. But machine learning is not the only one. You could very well, for example, create an expert system with a whole bunch of different rules and logical ways of combining those rules that will also be called artificial intelligence. But machine learning is really interesting. Because whereas usually you would need to understand the behavior trying to automate and then program the machine to do it, with machine learning, you only need to show examples of the behavior to The machine and it will learn to reproduce the behavior from those examples. Kind of like a kid, you know, show them pictures of horses and tell them that's a horse, they recognize horses in pictures, right? Same thing with machines. So why is this a revolution? It's a revolution because, you know, if you no longer need a human expert to understand what's going on, and you no longer need a programmer to actually code the machine, all you end up needing is data. And it's so much cheaper to collect data and let the machine figure out what to do than actually have a human in the loop. And so that's why machine learning is being used so widely these days. And deep learning is really just one type of learning algorithm. So deep learning is a branch of machine learning which is a branch of artificial intelligence. And even though all three could be used interchangeably, they're actually not exactly the same thing. Make sense? Please do ask me if you have any questions. So how does deep learning work? Uh, I promise this is gonna be your only technical slide. Uh, It's actually not that complicated. I know a lot of people in my profession are trying to make it sound like nobody can do it, but it's actually deceptively simple. This is something that's called an artificial neural network. And each of those small dots that you see here is what we call an artificial neuron. Uh, It has only, the the only similarity to the brain, by the way, is the name, because the brain doesn't work like that, but you know, that's just the name of it. And the whole point of deep learning is that you're gonna create layers Layers of neurons and those layers are going to be connected to one another. So the neurons here are connected to the neurons here that are connected to the neurons here and what you're going to try and do is learn how strong those neurons should be connected by looking at all kinds of different data and basically trying to learn those connections. So let's imagine you want to recognize a cat in a picture rather than describe what the cat is. So traditionally people would need to say a cat is cute, it has a mustache and everything. Here you would take every pixel of the image, and each pixel is going to be one of the neurons here, so every orange dot. And by looking at hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pictures of cats, after a while, the AI, the network, has learned, ah, there is something that I see frequently, which is a border. So now it has learned by itself the concept of edge because this is something that's repetitive. It's a pattern in images of cats. And now that it knows how to recognize edges, it can combine those edges, and it can basically create own representation what a cat looks like and then classify whether there's a cat or not in the picture so this is really impressive because at no point did a human explain to the machine what a cat was or what was so distinctive about a cat all we did was feed the raw pixels to the machine and it learned by itself So this is exactly the technology that you have in self-driving cars, for example. It works really well. This is exactly the same thing you've got in medical imaging these days. So we have AI that can diagnose uh, things in X-rays and MRIs better than humans these days. As a matter of fact, it costs less than $1 for a machine to diagnose an X-ray and it can be done remotely. So just try to think about what that means for healthcare globally when you no longer need to go to a hospital or pay like an expensive doctor to do the diagnosis. Um, So you're familiar with that. We just talked about it, right? Um, Who has one at home? Okay, anybody from Amazon? <laughs> okay, so <clears throat> so first of all, I don't think you should have one at home. Um, for many, many, many different privacy reasons, which is not the point of the talk today, we can talk about this another time. Um, <laughs> Yes, my, my second favorite topic is actually privacy and cryptography, but today we're just going to talk about AI. Uh, so voice assistants are interesting because they're not a new idea. You know, I mean, you know, we've been thinking about talking to machines for as long as we've had machines. Uh, think of Star Wars and R2D2 and C3PO, right? So think of a Knight Rider, remember that car people could talk to. Uh, it just didn't work because the capabilities of AI before deep learning were not good enough to understand human language because human language is very complicated. Um, and this is one of the reasons why it's only been recently that you've been able to do things like mine LinkedIn profiles. If you look at someone's LinkedIn profile, there are probably as many different titles as there are companies out there, right? And so trying to understand what are people actually doing, what they've been doing before, you know, what kind of things they're interested in is effectively a natural language problem. You need to be able to understand language if you want to be able to understand people's resumes and profiles and basically be able to offer something that's very, very uh personalized. So this just wasn't possible prior to deep learning. But it's exactly the same technology that you have behind Alexa uh, when you're asking it something. Um, so I think, you know, you've done a very good job of explaining how People Scout is also using that. I think this is something that we now see pretty much everywhere. And what you have to keep in mind is the moment artificial intelligence becomes used in a product on a very wide scale, people stop referring to it as artificial intelligence. And so you're already using it in many different things without realizing, when you're doing a search online, when you're actually getting recommendations of products, when you're listening to music, all of these things use deep learning. It's just that we don't call it AI anymore. And so I think that there is going to be increasingly a marketing segmentation in the space where we're no longer going to say that this is like an AI system for HR. We're going to say, you know, this is like an intelligent sourcing platform or something. And I think so this is how things are going to be evolving. Um, Have you heard about this? Yeah, so this was interesting. Uh, This is an AI from Google DeepMind that played against a world champion in the game of Go and won. This was really, really amazing because the game of Go, contrary to chess, has too many different combinations of moves. So you cannot just like calculate, you know, 15, 20 moves in advance like you do in chess and have an edge. You actually really need to learn how to play the game because there is no advantage in having more computing power. So what Google did here was really clever actually. So they took one AI to play the white side and one AI to play the black side. And they made those two AI compete against each other, but giving feedback to each other after every move. So the first AI would play a move, the second one would say, I don't think that was very good. And by mutually reinforcing themselves and playing millions and millions of games, they learned how to play the game of Go better than any human. And when they played against the world champion, uh, the AI won four out of five games. So everybody was like, wow, I mean, we all, we all thought it was gonna take another 10 years before we got there. But everybody also kind of felt reassured that, well, 20% chance of survival is not that bad, <laughs> right? Like, I'll take it. <laughs> so there is, the same AI kept on training, kept on training, kept on training, and today, not a single human can beat the machine at any game of Go. There is a new version of the AI that actually beats the AI that beats every human, every game. And so I remember, you know, when that happened, I was like, hmm. Now, that's a little bit worrying, I guess, because now, you know, you have machines beating machines, so where are humans going to be in this whole equation? What you have to understand is, however amazing all of those things are, there are still examples of something that's called narrow artificial intelligence, meaning that you're training the machine to perform a task, perhaps better than a human, but it doesn't know how to do anything else than the task it has been taught to, to, to do. And so naturally, what people are now doing is working on something that's called artificial general, intelligence the ability for a machine to reason the ability for a machine effectively to be to do any kind of logical task I know how to play the game of Go. These are the rules. I know, therefore, how to reuse the same rules in a different game potentially. This type of very human-like ability is not coming to artificial intelligence. Um, you know, in France, for example, when we learn, because I'm French, when we learn how to speak English, we have this list of like di- with this like kind of dialogue. You know, where's Brian? Brian's in the kitchen. And then you know, people are like asking questions. You can now have AI that can read dialogue and that can answer questions about the characters in it about what's going on so we have logical reasoning in machines happening today so yes you know when people tell you artificial intelligence is going to have an iq of a billion yes it will have an iq of a billion because it can do anything logical and it will do it faster than anybody else can but that's not the same thing as what we see in movies. Those kind of humanoid robots, really this idea of artificial human intelligence is in fact the combination of logical intelligence and emotional intelligence. As a human, you're not doing everything logically. You're also using emotions to make decisions. And you know, emotional intelligence is important not just because of communication. Actually, do you know why emotional intelligence is important? Why do we have it? Why did we evolve to have emotional intelligence? Take a guess. So you're gonna be happy? Uh, Yes. Um, I think maybe if anything, the distinction of happy, not happy, might come from the fact that we have emotional intelligence. So I'm not sure, you know. No, emotional intelligence is necessary to solve logical paradoxes. Meaning that when there are no way, when there is no way for you to solve a problem logically, what you do, is you use your gut feeling, right? You basically kind of take a guess. You're like, hmm, I think that's the right solution. Because if you didn't have this capability, if you were forced to make every single decision logically, you would be stuck all day long. Because it turns out that most things that you end up deciding are not decided logically. They're most likely decided emotionally and then rationalized afterwards so that people don't think you're crazy, right? Let's be honest. So here's an example of a logical paradox. This is a trap for self-driving cars is deceptively simple. All you have to do, and I don't know if this is the same thing in England as in the rest of Europe, but basically, you trace a dotted line on the floor, and inside of it, a solid white line. From the outside, the car sees that it's dotted, and on the other side, it's a solid line. That's actually okay, so it can go through. But once it's inside the circle, it becomes solid, and on the outside, dotted, and you're not allowed to cross that. Crossing that would basically be against the law. And so no matter how smart the car is, no matter how good it is at driving, there is no logical way for the machine to get out of this very simple trap. But what would you do as a human if you were the one driving the car? You'd be like, (laughs) whatever, right? Then move on. You'd be like, yeah, well, weird joke. I don't get it, but fine, right? (laughs) Now, what you did at that exact moment is you've consciously decided to use not your logical brain, but your understanding of what a joke is, or your emotional intelligence, and cheat. So the only way for a machine to get out of a trap like that is either to cheat, but then if AI can cheat, I'm not sure that's a very good thing, or AI should have an emotional intelligence. So can we build emotional intelligence in a machine? Well, the first thing is that will require artificial consciousness. Um, It's very hard to even describe what consciousness is in living entities, let alone trying to formalize it in a computer. But then we also know that it's not enough for a machine to be able to detect emotions and pretend to have emotions. So machines could be very good actors, right? They were not gonna feel emotions. And humans who do not feel emotions, because some humans, unfortunately, have neurological problems that makes them not feel anything. Humans who do not feel emotions are incapable of making decisions. So they can do math, they can program a computer, they cannot choose between chicken or beef for dinner. You know, th- Think of it like when you go home after a long day of work and you're in front of Netflix and you're trying to choose a movie, right? And you're like, just like spending hours just trying to pick something and then you're like, ugh, I'll just go to bed. You know that feeling of like emotional fatigue, right? So try to imagine your whole life being like that. That's effectively what happens when you do not have emotional uh, uh, intelligence. And so, you know, it doesn't matter that a computer is good at pretending, if it doesn't feel emotions, it cannot have emotional intelligence. Now, you might argue, okay, well, but let's imagine we could have that. Okay, well, let's imagine we have that. Well, your brain isn't, you know, in a box. Your brain is in a physical body. And biology has very, very strong limitations. It's made of carbon. It's made of oxygen. It's made of, you know, uh, um, nitrogen. If you change anything in the way that the human body is built that changes the equation of what intelligence actually is. If you made your brain 10% faster, that would consume so much energy that the entire body that goes with it should be bigger and you should eat more and there's probably not enough resources for everybody on Earth at that point. So if you change anything with the human biology, if you try to recreate an artificial human body that is faster than the actual human body, you're changing the very notion of what intelligence is. So now you have to limit yourself to what biology does to recreate human intelligence. And if that was not enough, it turns out that replicating a human brain in silicon would consume 50,000 times more energy to run. So a single brain that does nothing more than replicate every neuron in the human brain in a computer would require like a small power plant to run. So that does not make sense. And I think that, quite frankly, you know, if you've solved the energy problem, if you've solved the consciousness problem, the you know, artificial body problem, and you've solved you know, artificial emotions, you've got great businesses independently, but really, at that point, you might as well just have a kid, right? Because that's what a kid is. <laughs> I mean, it's literally you know a, a body with a brain that you're teaching stuff. <laughs> and it actually consumes very little energy, comparatively to a computer. And it's way more fun to program, uh, to to actually have a kid program a computer. Trust me on that. So no. So I think that the convergence of technologies that would be necessary for us to replicate emotional intelligence are so sci-fi-like that I would put the probability at almost zero, right? It's just, you have to understand that there is no scientific basis behind this idea of an artificial human intelligence the best we can get is artificial logical intelligence. And this is not the first time in history that we've gotten it wrong, right? Every time we had a new theory, people have tried to explain intelligence using this theory. So we taught for a while that intelligence was just like a fluid, you know, just flowing in your brain. And so maybe we could represent it this way. Then we taught at the time of Descartes and all of these guys that everything was like mechanical cogs and that intelligence could be represented by some sort of mechanical machine. The best example of human intelligence in, you know, a mechanical object was something called the mechanical Turk, which was a robot that was uh, in uh, Turkish armor, therefore Mechanical Turk, and that would play chess against people. And so the inventor would go around Europe and the robot would play chess, and it was pretty good at playing chess. And everybody was like, oh my God, like, how, how did you do it? That's it, everybody's gonna lose their job because we can replicate chess we can replicate everything that's clever. It turns out that when you looked inside the machine, which was of course the inventor's trade secret, there was a human. <laughs> So you know, the best display of artificial intelligence at the time was a fraud. And it's very, very, very important to really try to kind of not be too over-optimistic about what the technology can do today and really think about what is the technology really meant to do. Uh, So Tesla, we thought electricity was a good way of representing intelligence. Then at some point, Morse code was also theorized as, uh, you know, how intelligence worked. Uh, And then the computer in the 50s, everybody taught, of course, you know, we're getting inputs from our five senses and we're producing output as a response. The human body and the brain is purely deterministic. If you reproduce the input, you get the same output. And so I think artificial intelligence is really just today's new sort of theory that people get excited about in terms of explaining intelligence. But it's nothing really different from what we had before. And we shouldn't assume that what we do today with machine learning is going to be enough to explain intelligence overall. You know, Investing more money and spending more time doing research in machine learning is only going to get you to better logical intelligence. It's not going to get you to emotional intelligence. You know, Think of it this way. We could have cars that are going faster and faster. It doesn't mean that eventually we can teleport ourselves. They're just different things. It's the same thing with intelligence. So you know, just keep in mind that AI will do logical tasks. And yes, artificial intelligence will have an IQ of a billion. And yes, everything that you do logically in your job could be replaced by a machine. But only humans will be able to perform emotional tasks. And I think when it comes to hiring, for example, let's be honest, a machine will never do a a job as good as a human at picking who's the right candidate. If anything, machines are very bad at creating diversity, so you might just end up with more of the same people in your company, which arguably is not very good for creativity, right? Um, So the one way of thinking about this really is, if you look at how many jobs, for example, in France will be totally automatable, it's only about 10%. So we're very far from what people have been telling us, you know, 60% unemployment, nobody's gonna be working, everybody's gonna be like a professor or an artist or something like that, no. Only about 10% of jobs are gonna be fully automated about 40% of jobs are gonna be not at all automated, not impacted. So keep in mind, this is for France, it might be different other countries. And 50% of jobs are gonna require humans collaborating with artificial intelligence. So the combination of the human horizontal emotional intelligence with the logical vertical execution capability of artificial intelligence. And so the real challenge in the future isn't going to be how do we cope with everybody not having a job, but rather how do we help people train over their careers so that they stay relevant. And it's all all about continuous adaptive learning. I think the most important thing that we have to do if we want to be able to survive this whole new wave of artificial intelligence is to break this pattern of I'm studying for four years and I'll do this for the rest of my life and start accepting that what I know today might no longer be relevant in five years and I have to keep learning all the time. I might have five different careers in my life and that's okay. This is really what we should be thinking about. And this is also what we told the French government. We told them, hey guys, Stop thinking about you know, universal basic income, at least not for that problem, and really focus on creating learning platforms for people and giving them time to learn something new when they feel that they're no longer relevant. So why am I talking about this? I'm talking about this because you know since I was a kid, I've been told that this was the future. So this is a, f- a scene from the fifth element. It's a very technologically oppressive kind of space. There's policing everywhere, advertising nudging you. I mean, quite frankly, do you want to live there? No, I mean, be honest, do you want to live there? Probably not, no. When you ask people, what is the perfect life for you? Most people probably say something like that. That's what we want, right? We want to feel disconnected, we want to feel like we have time, we want to feel like we're actually having purpose in life. And I think artificial intelligence brings us a really great opportunity to get rid of the things we don't want to do so we can spend time doing what we actually really care about. And maybe if we only do things we care about, we might actually have enough time to be on holiday. Thank you. Any, any questions?
0: Yeah, I have one. Yes. You mentioned about diversity and machines. Not yes. So, is, is there a governance on development of AI to make sure it stays on the positive side rather than in the destructive side?
1: So, artificial intelligence in itself doesn't have an opinion, right? Um, all it does is it propagates whatever bias is in the data. So for example, uh, let's take the example of hiring someone. Let's imagine that you had an artificial intelligence that would automatically decide, okay, I'm gonna hire that person and not that person. To train it, you need to give it some kind of data as an example. Most likely, what you're gonna do is give it examples of you know, employees in your company that you feel are like, you know, representative or like very superstar people. What the AL will therefore do is only hire people like that. But then if you only hire people that are exactly like everybody else in your company, how do you actually create enough diversity to have new ideas emerge? And diversity is really important whenever you're trying to have creativity. So for example, it was shown that in companies where there are more than 20% of women at the board of director level, there were more successful new products being launched like it's a threshold. Under 20, no difference. Above 20, it's like literally a threshold. So if you want to be innovative, if you want to invent a new product, it's actually better to have a more diverse set of opinions. And diversity is really not different than, you know, I mean, one way of thinking about it is, imagine you have some paint. And the only color you have is red whatever you're going to do is going to be red that's your limitation okay now if I gave you uh, or uh, sorry if I gave you green on top of red now you could have two different colors twice as good but you could mix them up and you could invent something new which is yellow as a matter of fact you could invent every shade of yellow by mixing those two colors by literally combining two diverse things you're now creating bridges and you're inventing something new and it's really not different here if you want your AI to be able to promote diversity it needs a diverse data set to learn from and this is I think a real challenge yeah. is where do you find this data okay. any other question I don't know how much time we have left by the way okay, a couple minutes a couple of minutes. oh wow okay that was quick <laughs> yes so you did your PhD 10 years ago yeah you 10 years ago to- I mean, a deep learning didn't work. I mean, it was I would like starting so I did my PhD from 2006 to 2010 um, and back in those days deep learning was like this kind of oh good idea but we can't make it work kind of thing right I was actually teaching the class on neural network at UCL here in London and uh, I mean you know you just couldn't do it so I think we were more focused on simpler machine learning techniques that required a lot of pre-processing uh, so when deep learning started working which isn't because of some new technology right it was really just because we had more computing power effectively all of a sudden people started using it as a massive hammer for every problem so it was like oh why do we bother trying to figure out what's in the data if we can just like feed the raw data and let the machine do everything else so I think the big revolution was really when it started working because we could now literally throw this amazing algorithm to things that we just couldn't make work in the past what's next? After deep learning, I think we're going to see a lot more of a a combination of machine learning and symbolic AI. So effectively, kind of rule systems. So having machines learn the rules it actually creates a behavior so that if you ask it, "Why did you make that decision?" it can actually explain the reason why and how it came to that conclusion. I think that's going to be a very, very big topic. Uh, explainability and privacy are going to be two major things in artificial intelligence. Um, yes, yeah, so you mentioned about the, the go and the interactions, and then you mentioned the quite start AI being the human trying to replicate human intelligence, especially the emotions and the feelings about. It. What really I I kind of respond to about the feelings is that idea of connections and uh, you know being part of something in that collective interest. So I, I just wondered how you thought the the future of AI mm-hmm. as a as a concept or how it's going to go forward,
0: maybe to do with emotions, or to do with collective you know, collective machines or people together. So I think that's kind of in, interesting.
1: For sure. A- and you know I mean the idea of like collective machine intelligence is as you know as accurate as the idea of like collective human intelligence but it's not going to be the same thing Uh, having machines collaborate and learn from each other is an obvious kind of way forward. It's a very powerful idea, as a matter of fact. Uh, This is, in a way, what Tesla is doing with their self-driving cars, right? Um, So all your Tesla cars are sharing data about their driving behavior so that other cars can learn from this kind of network effect. So the more people drive Teslas around, the more the Tesla cars become safe. At least that's the logic. That's a form of collective machine intelligence. Um, And this is, you know, this is something you can design in anything you want. Great. Thank you very much.
0: That wraps up Rand's presentation. If you have any questions that we didn't cover today, you can send them our way. You can email us at marketing at or you can find us on social media. to search People Scout on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. To make sure you don't miss an episode, visit our website and subscribe to our feed on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review. Talking Talent is a People Scout production, music by Sound Design through Shutterstock.